Section 32 or Vendor Statement is part of the Sale of Land Act required to sell a property in the state of Victoria. It's kind of important if you want to sell your home or investment. Today, we are going to talk about how you can help your legal team get your Section 32 in order so you can sell your property. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Real Estate Right is getting fabulous audience feedback like this from Edwina Dixon. The sharing of amazing knowledge that each guest and you too, Sue, offer is priceless. It's what makes me love your Real Estate Right podcast. We just love hearing from our audience. If you would love us to do an episode about what is most concerning you on your real estate journey, give us a call on 03 5977 and we will make it happen. Kiani Mills, director and founder of KLM Conveyancing, is not only a fabulous conveyancer, but also a brilliant businesswoman, opening offices all around Australia to help buyers and sellers on the move. She's here to give us her fabulous insight into the Section 32. Welcome, Kiani. How are you today? I'm amazing. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming into the studios for the first time. It's so exciting to be here. I know. (laughs) We are a long way away from the centre of the world, but that's okay. No, as I said, I love coming down here. Growing up in Frankston means that this is a stone's throw away, so I love it. Love it. Awesome. So how is the property market going from your side? It's mental yeah 30 june was pretty intense yeah um which is a great thing and Mm. it tends to happen most years we didn't see it last year purely we were in the heart of covid Mm. but it was definitely a race to the finish line with the stamp duty savings finishing Mm. (laughs) at midnight on the 30th of (laughs) june so we had a lot to do that day but i think in all it was a really positive way to finish the financial year yeah. We've seen massive, massive changes in the market, um, especially on last year. Mm. And from everything we've seen so far going into this new financial year, yeah. we're on track to have another amazing year. Yeah. So what government incentives are there this year, like for this financial year? None. None. There are still. So the, the one that finished was the 25% and the 50% savings yes. for investors and PPR yeah. customers. But we've still got our um, zero stamp duty for first home buyers, okay. first home buyers grant, and then um, PPR concessions as well. So none okay. of that really changed. It was yeah. just on the back of COVID, there was a short term saving introduced mm. that finished. So there's still savings out there, non none at all for investors though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a shame because you know they're wanting to get out of the market at the moment. I agree. I agree. One thing I will say, though, was um, I really did expect the investors to come out sooner than they did Mm. because when this was announced, um, I think it was around March that it was announced, um, the saving was introduced for investors again. Mm. I was like, guys, get ready. We're going to be inundated with investors who are back in the market because they've now got an incentive. Mm. But they didn't come back straight away. It took them a little while and now, as I said, it's a run to the finish line because everyone wants to get the savings. So yes. I wonder if, I wonder what would have happened if they had to just, I guess, come out straight away. But, mm. you know. Yes. Well, it's it's one of those markets that hard to sort of gauge, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. I had um, coffee with a good friend of mine who's a buyer's advocate yesterday and um, 
<laughs> he was asked the question, what are your predictions? He goes, mate, I'd be a fool to give a prediction. Mm. Who could have predicted the last 12 months? I'm not even going to try and predict the next 12 months. I went, yeah. You know what? It's a very safe answer. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I actually uh, had to write 17 articles for different agents for the one company. I'm um, sorry, all, all directors of different offices. Yeah. And, you know, one of the questions I say, you know, what do you predict for spring? And they're like, oh, who's got the crystal ball? <laughs> no one's got the crystal ball. If only. If only. I'd pay someone with a crystal ball. Mm. I know. Anyway, so getting onto the topic, for all that don't know, what is a Section 32? Good question. So a lot of people hear this. Um, it's got a couple of different names. Mm. So Vendor's Statement and Section 32 are attached to the contract of sale. Okay. So they do form part of the formal contract that you need to sign to buy a property or sell a property. Um, But they do technically come in two parts, Mm. contract, terms and conditions. Section 32 slash vendor's statement is our specifics around Mm. our property. So we have to have it. We can't buy one without the other in Victoria. Yes. Queensland, no such thing. Mm. So um, it's a little bit different. New South Wales, we have disclosure statements. Um, and all the other states. So we're the only state in Australia that has a Section 32. Okay. So it's it's just an addition to the actual contract of sale. Exactly. Yeah. So this really is, and the reason why it can be, it is called a vendor's statement mm. is because it's the vendor, the seller, making a statement to the buyer about the specifics that they need to know under Section 32 of the Sale of Land Act yeah. about the property before they buy it. Okay. So while in Victoria we are buyer beware, and I'm using my inverted commas there because it is up to the buyer to do their due diligence. Mm. We here in Victoria give our buyers way more than any other state in the whole of Australia. So in my opinion, having worked in the other states, Victoria is the most um, transparent state when it comes to what a vendor must provide. Mm. Um, There's great areas everywhere. But as always, as, <laughs> I know. Um, but yes, it is definitely different to the contract. Yeah. But together and combined, they are the legal selling document. Okay, sounds good. So, how helpful do you want vendors to be in providing the information for the section thirty two? <laughs> how much easier is it for you to do it through your own contacts? Yeah, look, good question. Um, there is so much that we can do. Mm. Um, we can order all of the certificates. We can investigate. Um, almost everything, mm. but there are some pretty basic things that we need to know, such mm. as is gas connected? Mm-hmm. Do you have sewage or a septic tank? Mm-hmm. Sometimes those things aren't as easy to find. Um, are there any belongings at the property that you would like to leave behind or take with you? Um, or stay with the property. Correct, exactly, yeah. Mm. Um, or have you done any building works, which is something we've spoken about before. So. Yes. Again, the more information a vendor gives us up front, to me, in my ideal world, if a vendor has a copy of their contract from when they bought it, that is like gold, like Mm. absolute gold because then I've got the base of what they bought so I can see what was there. I've got all of our new information. I'm building the new contract based on the new information that the vendor has given me. But it's nice to have a reference point. Yeah. So, for instance, you wouldn't talk about, look, I've put, new carpeting or uh, you wouldn't talk about, you know, the new ceiling fans, all that sort of stuff. That's not really building works. It's more the structural, like a pergola, yeah. an additional room. Absolutely. Removing structural walls is a big one too. Oh, that one, removing. Because most people go, oh, anything external, 
um, or that can be seen by Google Earth because that's how council figure it out, yeah. is structural work, yeah. but they forget about what happens under the roof. Mm. Um, I had a client not long ago actually where um, she gave us all the information to prepare her contract mm-hmm. and what had happened was she removed a part of the nib wall above her stairs. So her stairs to go to her second level was all enclosed and she removed from the roof down to the handrail so that there was a bit of light coming yeah. through. And to do that, she had to get building permits and approval to be able to move that, remove that part of the wall. Mm. So that had to be included in the Section 32. Yeah. Because we want to make sure too, from a safety perspective, yeah. that everything's safe, compliant. And you, don't, you don't want the roof falling down on you. No one wants that. No. no. <laughs> Okay, so what's classified as illegal building works? Good question, because the Mm. word illegal can be quite scary. Mm. Um, Sometimes people genuinely don't know. Yeah. Um, We have lots of clients that Uncle Joe gets out in the backyard and goes, ah, let me just knock that up. And, you know, back in the old days, it was totally okay to knock up a little bagola or a deck or, you know, whatever it was. Probably wasn't, but, you know, a little little more uh, flexible back there than it is now. But anything where you but in order to classify something illegal, it means that there is no paper trail or documentation okay. around it. So, for instance, if I have an awesome roof space and I thought, oh, I could make, like, a kid's play area up there, chuck in a skylight, you know, give it some plaster, carpet, couple of lights, a few PowerPoints, all that sort of stuff. No one can see that from <laughs> outside. Um, but I'm maximising my space. Chuck in one of those attic ladder things. Yep. Would that be considered illegal? Definitely. The reason is, mm. think about when you build a house. Yeah. You have to get building permits and planning permits to build the house to the specs that it's been built to. Yeah. Anytime you deviate from those plans, mm. it's illegal. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if your planning permit allowed you, if the original planning permit said, yes, you can have a roof space up there, mm. but you ran out of money and decided not to, mm-hmm. and then later went, actually, yeah, we're going to do that now, mm. I'd still check with council just to make sure it was still A-OK with the approving department mm-hmm. or the planning department. But likely, yeah, you can. But mm. if you have, for instance, plans for a three-bedroom house, yeah. And then you turn the roof into a fourth bedroom, your plans don't approve a fourth bedroom. Mm. So that's where the rules go, where we're selling something that is specific to the council planning scheme. Yeah. We need to abide by the plans, plan, um, the council planning scheme. Mm. And it's also one of those ways that the council get extra money. 100%. And look, yeah. there is that little fine line of yeah. it's internal. Yeah. Um, they can't actually see it. Yeah. The risk that you face is when buyers come through these properties, mm-hmm. especially risk-adverse buyers, they're going to ask questions. Yeah. And if you don't have the answers for them or the answers that they want, mm. you could lose a buyer. Yeah. So you could scare them away. I mean, if the work's done really well, and we have this conversation all the time, if it's safe and the work's done well, mm. um, you may, as, as, as a result, to get it resolved, get a retrospective permit to allow it to be there. Um, that is absolutely up to you. Yeah. But you're buying the property in the state that it's in. Yeah. Regardless. So is there a time limit with these things? No. So, for instance, <laughs> if this happened 20 years ago. There is no statute of limitations with council. 
No, but there is um, title insurance that you can take out to okay. protect. So that the, the whole purpose of title insurance is, which could probably be an episode in itself, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, is to protect buyers against the unknown mm-hmm. from any previous owners. Okay. So, for the, for instance, with this, if um, we had the roof cavity as a playroom. And we went to go to council to get an approval to maybe turn one of our other bedrooms into two. So it went from three bedrooms to four bedrooms. And they came and had a look and went, oh, that's not on the plans. Mm. And they went, well, you're going to have to fix that to be able to get that. You've alerted them to it. But if you didn't build that roof cavity and it was there when you bought the property, then you just pick up your phone, call the title insurance and say, I bought this property as is. As is. The roof cavity was already a playroom. I've now found out that technically not supposed to be there and the title insurance people will come in and maintain the communication, take care of all the building works and cover up to 200% of out-of-pocket costs. Oh, 200%, not just 100%. No. 200 Uh-huh. Yeah, compensation. Awesome. Yeah. Because, mm. like, we had an episode with Andrew Butler from yeah. Butler Plumbing about the whole sewage and septic thing mm. and he said that your counts, your water rates are based on how many toilets you have in the house. Yeah, right. So if you've got three toilets, you'll be to- you'll be charged according to three toilets of, and it doesn't matter if there's eight people in the house or two people in the house, you get charged for the three toilets. Yeah, well, I didn't yeah. even know that. How mm. cool is that? I know. Well, it isn't, it isn't. Yeah, yeah. Cool new fact, not so cool oh. that you get charged for things that you may not be using. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that's, you know, if you're hiding a toilet, you put that extra toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you save yourself on the water rates. But yeah, it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and in the scheme of things, does saving a couple of dollars on water rates outweigh potentially getting in trouble from or, or a purchase falling over? Yeah. Because you've done the wrong thing. Because you've left that extra toilet. Yeah. No, the reality is if there's eight people in the house, they're all got it. <laughs> go to the toilet the same amount of times if there's three toilets or one toilet. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Just it, extra flushes. <laughs> there should be a charge on the actual toilet. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, they have to pay for water usage. But that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. it, you know, it doesn't matter if there's eight people with one toilet, eight people with no. three toilets. You've got to make the money somehow. <laughs> they've still got the same amount of stuff going down the system. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> anyway. Unless you want to time them flushing at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And one, two, three, flush. (laughs) Okay. Um, Now we're going to have a short break and come back with more from Kiani Mills from KLM Conveyancing to talk about other ways you, as the vendor, can help or hinder the preparation of your Section 32. You're listening to Real Estate Right, and we are talking to the brilliant, and I'm say brilliant, Kiani Mills from KLM Conveyancing about the process of getting your Section 32 in order. So, Kiani, is it helpful for vendors to have council rates, water rates, land tax, owners' corporation fees fully paid going into the sale, or doesn't it matter due to readjustments at settlement? Yeah, look, I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter, yeah. but I say to all of my clients, um, if you're going to incur penalties, then pay them. Yeah. That's really it. 
everything will be readjusted. Yeah. And even if there are penalties, we can readjust those too. Mm-hmm. But there is no point in putting them in, unless there is a situation where they're in dire straits and they can't pay them. Mm-hmm. They will have to pay the penalties because we will calculate that at settlement. But mm-hmm. as a show of good faith, I say always just make sure that uh, if we're getting to a point of, you know, penalty side, defaulting, then just pay them. Otherwise, yes, you know, it's not the end of the world, mm-hmm. but sometimes where you see, um, I guess, owner's court fees, they're probably the, the biggest one, if not council rates. Um, owner's corps, are, I feel, are a lot more diligent when it comes to late fees. Yes. You see interest owed on owner's court fees. And they're big. it's big interest, isn't it? More than the others, yeah. Mm. And they won't skim on a cent. Mm. <laughs> they will not. So... It makes everyone's life easier if they've been paid up yeah. because calculating interest down to the date is fine and it's possible to be doing it, but if we can avoid it, brilliant. Yes. Um, but if not, just be mindful for clients who are, if, if it is a sale because of necessity, not necessarily want, and they are at the top of their you know, budget needing money, expect that there'll be you know, you'll be paying interest as well and sometimes there's late fees and things like that. Yeah. So so what would be the longest or worst situation you've seen in terms of someone not paying their, for instance, council fees? Um, look, council I've seen pretty bad just on deceased estates where... Oh, okay. And, but it might be that the property, you know, that the vendor died years ago and mm. they've just let it kind of sit there and done nothing with it. Mm. Um, owners' corp fees, as I said, owners' corps, they have their own internal management company and they manage the fees. They can go to VCAT and things like that. The worst I've actually seen is land tax. Oh, really? Where a client came to me to sell their property and um, we did a – it was an investment property, so every investment property, we do a State Revenue Office certificate from the State Revenue Office search yeah. just to make sure that it's all there. And it captured seven years of unpaid land tax on a property in Brighton that was, I think, $1.8 million. Yeah. So the outstanding fees were about 35000 over the seven years. Yeah, and they had no idea because the land tax certificates had been being sent to an old representative that was no longer open. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, it was a nice surprise, mm. unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, I mean... From a from an interest perspective or penalty perspective, you really only see them with owners' corporations. Yeah. Yeah. All good. So in what sort of incidences would you need to get a property lawyer to step in to help prepare the Section 32? Yeah, look, there's not that many. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends what the scenario is. So with the Section 32, the Section 32s are pretty straightforward. Okay. Um, when we prepare a vendor statement, there are sections in the vendor statement that ask for required documents. Yeah. And it goes through that you've got to put in your financials, you've got to put in any um, insurances, whether there's been building works and certificates, owners corporation certificates, the services that are connected, um, if it's an unregistered plan of subdivision, mm-hmm. so we're selling something off the plan. It's a pretty stringent document that you follow the process yeah. of it. Collate the required documents and put it in there. The times where we work really closely with lawyers to prepare is the contract of sale. So it's the terms that support the Section 32. Okay. Specifically when we are doing major developments off the plan. Yeah. Your your kind of standard houses, very unlikely, unless we've got a scenario 
where we may be entering into a terms contract or we're looking at a head contract mm -hmm. and we're reselling um, for some unusual terms. Yeah. Straight sales and purchases and, um, you know, straight variations are quite simple, but there are weird and wonderful things that pop up all of the time. Because there's situations like, for instance, um, there might be, I heard of one situation recently where a tenant was in a property that had been there for 15 years or so and then they actually had a public campaign to find an investor to buy that so those people could live their days out at that property. Yeah, wow. Um, that was uh, Natalie Russell, uh, the girl who got murdered by Paul Denyers, her parents. Right, okay. In Frankston. Yeah, wow, yeah, okay. So they found a lawyer, not a lawyer, an investor to make sure that they were able to stay in their home. Yeah, right. Um, and that sort of thing you may need I would a property say, lawyer to, I would say yes, yeah. 100%. Um, one of the things that I'm more than comfortable with, and I think most conveyance are learning where the line is of where to say, that's not mine. Yeah, out, out of our depths. Yeah. And not from a point of we can't deal with it. It's that in our industry and in the legal industry, one word can make everything fall apart mm. as we know especially with courts and things like that if you are served a document and there's one typo documents invalid you yeah. know they're so specific and it's mm. just not worth a vendor risking um a whole entire sale especially if you go through the marketing campaign as well yeah. because you don't get a refund on marketing costs no, you don't. so there are definitely times if there are um exactly that scenario those kinds of stringents we may not have to hand the whole file off Mm. But having a solicitor's input or a lawyer's input on writing those really specific special conditions, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And there's lots of things like, uh, like really long settlements mm. where they may say, or even um, vendor terms where they yeah. they end up having, uh, you know, pay 10% or something every Yeah. Yeah. So they turn into terms contracts. Yeah. Absolutely. So we would... Definitely get advice on those. Yeah. Um, there's another one. The other one that we do a lot is where future development sites where we enter into contracts that are 12 or 18 months long mm. and have really stringent special conditions in there, which we've had lawyers write in the past mm. that we use around the purchasers being able to go and order their planning permits and planning yes. documents from council because the rule is council won't allow that to happen unless you are the owner. Yes. So they need the current owner to sign off on all of these documents within a tight time frame for the developer to be able to continue the process so that yeah. in 18 months' time when they do settle, they can pull the trigger and start, and start building. Yeah. So there are definitely situations that arise where, you know, as I said, we may not need to hand the whole file off, but Get 100%. If it's in the client's best interest mm. and it's something where I'm not 100% confident, definitely get yeah. advice. Sounds good. Now, say my agent has a hot buyer, not hot in the looks, but just, <laughs> damn it, <laughs> who wants to purchase a property in the next 24 hours and will only look at properties where all the paperwork is in order. Mm -hmm. How quickly can you get my Section 32 prepared? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I have prepared a Section 32 for a house before in under an hour. Oh, and wow. that is where the client has everything ready to go. So they've sent me their council rates, water rates. This was a house. So there was no owner's corporation. Yeah. They lived in the property. 
There's been no building works. It was like, as I say, as vanilla as you could possibly go. Yeah. So we had to order a title search and a plan of subdivision, mm-hmm. the planning documents, which all came back within five or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, as I said, the client sent us everything we need and I got it out immediately. Yeah. Where we're looking at properties that have an owner's corporation. They're painful, <sighs> aren't they? Man. <laughs> uh, we're looking at, I'd say, at least minimum 24 hours to get those done. Okay. The rule with the owner's corps, and this is where the, if a client's got a relationship with the owner's corp direct, I say ask them direct and see if they can pull some strings because we order all of our certificates through a third party. Mm-hmm. So when the certificate request goes through to the owner's corporation, it's just some Joe Smith, whoever conveyed that means nothing don't care, they want a certificate. Minimum time frame is two business days. Mm -hmm. So even if we did do that, then I'd say, client, can you just call the owner's corporation and tell them your story that you've got a buyer and you really appreciate it and sometimes they can rush it. But the best success we've had is where the client themselves goes straight to the owner's corporation, tells the story, whether I would say encourage the sob story. And um, and see how how well how much they can help, and yeah. we have had it before in under twenty four hours. Yeah. So so stand there and protest until you get it in your hand. Hundred percent. Be that client. Mm. Be that person that just yeah. calls and calls and calls until and they say, give you, you realize, what you want. Do you realize you are costing me five thousand dollars an hour for you waiting? Absolutely. I will stand here waiting. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, it can be done really quickly mm. if we've got the client's support with us. Yeah. So now, is there anything else we need to know about Section Thirty Two? Um, I think the most important thing is um, the cost. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily the cost for for conveyances because conveyances have a fixed fee most of the time. Yeah. It's more when we're looking at properties number one with owners corps. Yeah. You know that two day certificate is around three hundred dollars. Okay. So when you're looking at a a unit or an apartment that's in a development, say a bigger one that might have a swimming pool, mm-hmm. spa, gym, things like that, generally there's more than one owner's corporation too. Oh. So. Interesting. Yeah. I have a development that I work really closely with in Mooney Ponds. Mm-hmm. It was a Caden development that settled a couple of years ago. They have 10 owner's corporations in this development because really? they've got six towers, they've got a student accommodation, they've got an acre of garden land yeah. with all the facilities you could possibly imagine. But for one apartment in there, there's four owner's corporations attached to that one unit. Yeah. So one owner's corp certificate for two days is $300. Normally what they do is they subsidise the next yeah. set, but it's only subsidised down to about $180. So that times three, so it's a lot of money. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing is when you are going to sell your property, there is unfortunately sometimes there's things in the back end that you have to legally provide as well as if there are covenants or caveats or any kind of agreement on that title as well they all cost extra money Mm -hmm. so if it's a house you're pretty safe that your disbursements which is the title search plan of subdivision about a hundred dollars yeah which is great but where we're looking at those big massive developments you would comfortably probably have to spend about seven or eight hundred dollars just to get certificates to go into the contract. So sometimes I do say to clients, um, especially with the agents, because I go, yes, 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 I need it now, 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 now. 
okay, you know, this is going to be an expensive exercise. So if there's a buyer that's ready to go, I'm happy to do it. If it's just a potential, then maybe we can stretch it from a two business day service to a five day service, which means the cost goes down a little bit. Um, Worst case scenario, we do it on 14 days and we can always bring it forwards. But I'm very much of the opinion, wherever we can save a dollar, let's try and do it. Um, But again, it's just gauging where the process is at, which is why get onto it straight away. Don't leave it to the last minute. As soon as you enlist your agent, straight to a conveyancer and get the ball rolling. Yeah. I don't care if your auction's not for four weeks. Let's do it. do it now so we can do it as cheap as we can, as cost-effective as we can. Not cheap mm-hmm. because it's not cheap. Cost-effective. Yeah. And make sure that it's done properly and you've got no worries. Yeah. Sounds like wise advice. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much, Keanu, for coming into our Real Estate Rights Studios today. Now, how can listeners get in contact with you? Like always, my favourite form of communication is social media. Yeah. <laughs> we have a bit of fun on our socials, so get involved. Um, mine is Kiani Mills, and then the company's is KLM Conveyancing. Otherwise, you can email us, website, um, kiani at klmconveyancing.com.au. Sounds great. Thank you so much. And we will have all your details in our show notes and through our social media. Next week, we have David Banks from Jealous Craig Moore and Dara. To tell us his top 10 requirements buyers are looking for in a property and how to overcome them when you don't have them. So don't miss it. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a leading real estate copywriting service throughout Melbourne. If you would like your property copywritten by Real Copyright, please book your copy through orders at realcopyright.com.au. If you would like us to help create more valuable real estate information for the people of Melbourne in this podcast, contact sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.